If you'd like to take a seat. Our reading this evening is from Luke chapter 7, starting at verse 36, which is page 1036 in the Church Bible. Jesus anointed by a sinful woman. Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had been invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50 Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he cancelled the debts of them both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt cancelled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Well, that was really good, wasn't it? We have these very disciplined uh, musicians who help us in our worship. And truly, as a congregation, we are so greatly blessed. It enriches our worship and draws us together in the spirit. I was struck by, and it was chosen deliberately, that um, hymn by Graham Kendrick, Meekness and Majesty, in speaking about the Lord Jesus, who kneels in humility and washes our feet. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever had to wash the feet of a stranger? Uh, any? Any? Yeah? Are you saying yes? You have. Helen, only you? Anybody else? Oh, okay, a few more hands. Right, thank you. Well, I was, this, is, this is unscripted now, and I will finish the sermon in a moment, but I was thinking about when I was 12 years of age, I used to do a paper round three miles from the village where I lived, summer and winter and all weathers, on my bicycle. Papers were dropped off at a certain place, I used to collect them, put them in the bag and deliver them, and on Saturdays call to collect the money. 
And it was a big learning curve for me, a 12-year-old. I remember one girl coming to the door when I was to collect the money, knocked the door and said, the paper money is due. And this girl said, Mummy's saying she's not at home. <laughs> now, how would you follow that as a 12-year-old? However, that's nothing to do with the sermon, but it is part of learning. In the course of this village that I went to, there was this man who from time to time asked me, would I take his socks off and uh, let him, he had the bowl ready so that uh, his feet could be washed and put on uh, a different pair. So only, yeah, I think he only had two pairs. At least it felt like that. Um, and to this day, I never told my parents because I thought they wouldn't approve. And yet somehow it seemed to be the right thing uh, to do. That is the only occasion for me. But then if I was to ask you, okay, some of us have washed people's feet. Have you ever kissed the feet of a stranger? Chances are we haven't. In that reading, it is so embarrassing, terribly embarrassing. It certainly was for the disciples. And we will come to that, but it is by way of background to this series that we are having in uh, John 13. And in John 13 to 17, it is part of this, what's called the Upper Room Discourse, as it's recorded by John. And here is, if you like, is Jesus' farewell message. It is what is sometimes referred to as his swan song. A swan song is reputed to be something like this. When the swan is going to die, it sings a song and passes away. This is our Lord's goodbye. I remember saying that at a funeral recently. We are here to say goodbye to mention the name. Goodbye is God be with you. You would need him to be with you if you are going to die. To die without him is a terrible thing. And this context of the Passover meal, Jesus is talking and it's interactive. And what we have here is Jesus speaking to his disciples in a way that made them embarrassed, as we shall discover. What I want you to do is, to, if you've got John chapter 13, which is what we're looking at, I want you to turn back to chapter 12, and you'll see there from the, the PowerPoint, um, it's all part of um, a build-up to the Passover. You have the, the triumphal entry. And uh, John 12, verse 1. Six days before the Passover, so this is the context, John 13, the Passover has arrived. Six days before, Jesus arrived at Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honour. Verse 2, Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Now it's not like we do, sitting at the table, but being uh, reclining. The table's almost on floor level, really, just slightly above. Then Mary, which Mary, there's a lot of discussion, however, it's not important at this stage. Mary took about a pint of pure nard and expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. Now we were, we were asking, who's washed somebody's feet? Who's kissed somebody's feet? 
Whoever's white Sunday suit with your hair. And the house was filled with fragrance and perfume. But one of the disciples, surprise, surprise, <coughs> Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. That is a lot of money. A year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Now then, Jesus' response, leave her alone. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. Make poverty history needs to be leveled against this statement. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Right. Just keep that in the background and the reading that we had earlier on. And now we come to John 13. We've seen this sort of lavish display of, of love, almost extravagance. And the disciples are embarrassed and Jesus, Judas is critical. And here you have, often is the case with disciples then and now, this clash of thinking and values and priorities. It is a great clash here. They think this is a terrible waste. Jesus says, this is not only beautiful, it is a prophetic act for my burial. This is a waste. This is sheer worship. Different perspectives all together. And so when you come to John 13 and verse uh, 4 and 5, which we were looking at last Sunday, you see, so Jesus got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying the towel that was wrapped around him. And you know the rest of the discourse. And what we come to here is this sort of double lesson. Yes, the double lesson is this. It takes humility and grace to serve others. You don't have people queuing up to wash people's feet. It takes humility and grace to serve others. But the other side of the coin, the second lesson is this. And it takes humility and grace to let others serve you. And some of us are far too independent to let our guard down, to let people serve us. And though inwardly our life is falling apart, when people genuinely ask, how are you? You say, I'm fine. Which is not true. <coughs> you see the double lesson here. Yes, humility to serve others. As much perhaps greater humility to admit and let others serve you in your time of need. Of course, the key verse comes to an end here in verse 17. Where after this event of the washing of the feet and, and the interaction, this dialogue, then Jesus says, Now that you know these things, you will be blessed, and it's a big if. You'll be blessed if you believe them. No, you'll be blessed if you do them. You'll be blessed if you do them. In a way, that's the very heart of the sermon and this uh, reading here tonight. Our school motto was, Stoop to conquer. 
stoop to conquer. And where the, the teachers were often saying that pride and arrogance is something that we should not be proud of. But to humble ourselves, to see ourselves for who we are, is the road of realism. And to conquer, to conquer our inner self as much as anything else. And this is the example of Christ. And the example that initially is entirely lost by the disciples. Jesus is teaching. Jesus is illustrating. And they miss the point altogether. Turn back, to the, I think this will be our last cross-reference tonight, in Luke 22. Just to compare these various events building up to the Passover. Luke 22 and verse 20. The point we're saying is that this act of Jesus is almost entirely lost, almost, with the disciples. Luke 22, verse 20. In the same way after supper, we were thinking about this this morning at communion, Jesus took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for many. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to the man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. Now then, this is the verse. In that context, also, also, a dispute arose among them, the disciples, as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. How extraordinary is that? that? The point is, of this event is missed entirely that people should even be preoccupied with that. And yet it is so. I hope that you might say, well, maybe there's hope for us yet. How that should ever happen is almost staggering beyond belief. Here is Jesus displaying his grace and humility. And they are more concerned about their personal position, their prestige, and their standing. That is quite something, isn't it? That is quite something. And the main lesson that Jesus wants to give here is this. That an attitude of humility is the way to understand it. You see, look at verse, come back to John 13 and verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes, like putting on a coat if you like, and returned to his table. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. Of course we do. You washed our feet. And you know, there are some people who might see church life and spiritual issues. Oh, it's not a big deal. It's just that. Is it? You can't help but wonder what is going to become of such folk. And these attitudes of humility are followed by actions of love. And you need both. And that comes, of course, in the application in verse 17. Now that you know these things, blessed you are if you do them. Well, let's say three things very quickly. Um, by way of, if you like, almost questions. Three, three statements that come as questions. Why we love, when, and how. And just look at some of these verses. Why we love. Verse 12. Picture the scene, if you can't already. And many artists have done this, to, to try to give us an impression of, of what it must have been like. 
Stay with me on this. Jesus returns to his place. He's washed their feet. Have you ever thought, didn't strike, struck me, strike me in this way until I was reading this, he's the only one in the room who's got dirty feet. Isn't that amazing? And Isaiah the prophet says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, proclaiming joy, peace. And he is the sovereign Lord who goes back to his place with unwashed feet. How amazing is that? And don't forget the context here. It, is John exaggerating the point? I don't know. But in John 13, which is the verse that opens it up, and, it's, and, the, and the second part of verse 1, it says, Having loved his own who are in the world, he now showed or demonstrated to them the full extent of his love. Would you have said the full extent of his love was washing somebody's feet? Well, of course, it's more than that here. But it's a very powerful thing. Showing the full extent of his love. He didn't say, now I'm going to explain the extent of my love. No, I'm going to show it. I, this is a demonstration, not an explanation. And why this feet washing? Well, you might say, to the first reason purely this. Dirty feet. Dirty feet. It's a cultural thing, of course. Dusty roads or muddy roads. Nothing more. Their feet were dusty, now they're not. Well, I'm sure you'd agree that would be to miss the point entirely. But there's another thing here. It's not really dirty feet, but proud hearts. The twelve will be arguing for a throne. And they don't want to wear a towel. And Jesus gives this penetrating question. Superficially, you could say yes. Well, here's the question. So, is, is the meal in the normal way? He's got up, he's washed their feet, there was a bit of an encounter, but he won Peter around, he's gone back, well, that's typical of Peter, okay. And when he finished that, he, he says, do you understand what I've done for you? Well, yes, you've washed our feet. Superficially, you understand. But spiritually and profoundly, do we really? That there ought to be no place among people who confess that Jesus is Lord to be proud and opinionated about ourselves or dismissive of others. Why such love? Secondly, when we love, just read on in these verses, uh, verse 30. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, and there's a play in words there, which one comes first, and they're moved around. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. Fair enough. 
I think Kendrick captures this, doesn't he? Lord of eternity, dwells in humanity, kneels in humility, and washes our feet. It is inconceivable that that should be above us. But sadly, sometimes it is. Of course, we're not talking necessarily about the literal washing of the feet, though it could be that. But this whole inner attitude of God. <coughs> Jesus explains this lesson in humble service. And he gives this as an example now. You are to follow. You are to follow. <coughs> well, when would you follow this example? When? When such love? Well, you might say, when people are nice. Surely that's when it should be. I like nice people because they're often nice to me. <coughs> or, when I feel spiritual or when I feel good. Or, it might be, you might say, when I'm repaid for what I'm doing. Uh, you scratch my back, and I'll scratch your back. You wash my feet, and I'll wash yours. That's when we love, surely. Well, of course it isn't. But, but we can fall into that very easily. And what you have here, let me answer the question then from the passage, not our experience, though we try to illustrate it. From chapter 13, from the reading, from verses 21 and 30, is when someone's going to betray you. That's a tall order, isn't it? I wonder if we could do that. I wonder. You see, verse 21, this is when we demonstrate this love. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, I tell you the truth. One of you, whose feet I've washed, will betray me. And then verse 30. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out. And John seems to recall this eerie word. And it was night. It was night in his soul. And it was the dark night of the soul for Judas. I know theologians want to rehabilitate him. To say, well... We show such love when somebody is prepared to betray us. Oh, this, is, this is not human love. This is God's love. And so you see that contrast. Light. Jesus. Darkness. Judas. The second thing here about these events in chapter 13 when we should love is this the denial of Peter do you really get annoyed when people might uh, say things about you or you say things about others how do you feel about such things the world's made up of that well look in verse 38 when should we love Jesus answered Peter will you really lay down your life for me Will you really love me? I tell you the truth. Before the cock crows, 
you will disown me three times. This is tough love. This is God's love. This is not Christians should be nice to each other. It is the love of Jesus. That's when we should love. And I tell you and I tell myself, I can't do it and you can't do it. But his love in us and through us can. The person who promised to stand and defend Jesus and lay down his life for him was the one who denied him. And lastly, why we love, when, and, and that's the context of our Lord's situation. I guess ours couldn't be as bad as that. It's when we love. Verses 15 to 17. In practical ways, in sacrificial ways. If verse 17 is a key verse, I think verse 15 is such a link to that. Here it is, coming back to John 13. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. You can't get out of that, can you? You couldn't say, you know how some people, preachers, theologians or Christians would say, yeah, well, you know, that doesn't really mean, it'd be hard to say that. It really would be hard. I've set you an example that you should do as I've done for you. This is our great calling as Christian people. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is the messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you are blessed. <coughs> I wonder if you would consider yourself, call yourself blessed or happy. David Cameron is keen that we should cultivate a sense of well-being. Well, I don't think he would set this agenda, nor would anybody. And yet, this is the challenge that we are to follow the Lord Jesus. <coughs> So the context, preoccupation with self, status, and you get this constant danger of disciples then and now, and it is this, to talk of loving, to believe in loving, to agree and to defend loving, but in practice, actually not to love. And so capable are we of self-deception that we could do that. And you see what Jesus is saying here. That's why perhaps these words that we will come to in John 13, 34, 35, a new command. Here it is, I give you, love one another as I have loved you. By this, what is evangelism? Evangelism surely is Christian people truly, truly <coughs> loving each other and the unbelieving people looking on and saying, that's what I need. That's what I want. And the danger of disciples then and now is to almost be deluded 
to stay unloving. A Christian life without obedience to Jesus Christ is empty of power, void of love, and the absence of blessing. That's a salutary thing to say, isn't it? A Christian life without obedience to Jesus Christ. You must ask yourself, as I must ask myself, is this all words? Or is there the power of God's love in me? I want to end by quoting the, the, the commentary of J.C. Ryle. And he says this. Knowledge without practice does not raise us above the level of the devil. So often we tend to think that growing as a Christian means gaining more knowledge. Yes, we do need to learn more of God's ways and his commands from scripture. But Christian growth is not about packing our heads with information. It is rather learning as disciples at the feet of Christ and putting what we learn into practice. It is the doing, not just the knowing of God's command that Jesus promised would bring blessing. So, he says, let us not just believe the truth in our heads, Put it into practice in our lives. Satan knows the truth better than we. But he refuses to obey it. And we shouldn't. 